When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you? Just just one game to go in what has been a long and, well, remarkable season for one of us, I have to say, Kieran. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the end of the season and no more football finance for three months. <laughs> yeah, you did that. Very. I can't see you, Kieran, but I, I recognise your deadpan voice when I hear it. Are you worried about the rumours that uh, your manager might be next on Man City's list? No, no. If, if if he is, that's absolutely fantastic because we will have had two great seasons. Pep staying there for two more years. If we get two more years out of uh, Roberto, I'll, I'll be absolutely delighted. Um, and, and good luck to him. I'm, I'm always saying to anybody, regardless of the career, uh, you know, you're entitled to progress and uh, compete at the highest level, um, as, as we saw with Graham Potter. Yeah, that's technically that's what I say, Kieran. Instead, I find myself booing them when they come back and start kissing their shirt. It's questions day, Kieran. But there are, there are a couple of news stories that we we need to talk about, but we're going to talk about them properly on Wednesday, just to give us time to digest the facts and figures a little bit more, so we can give it more justice. And the first is the the details of the Ivan Tony uh, gambling ban and the the lengthy list of things he's been accused of, and the mitigating factors. And the second is. Uh, as you predicted, Kieran, it would kick off in Germany about this. <laughs> it, it, it kicked off a bit more quickly than you imagined. So, yes. so that's gone out the window. But so we're going to be talking about that in some detail on Thursday's show. And we've also got um, an interview on Thursday's show with an expert in the finances of, of German football, um, a journalist who's based over there. So that'll be interesting to put some to meat on that bones. But it, it, it certainly didn't take long, Kieran, did it? No, no, I, I love German football culture. They're superb. Yeah, it's, it really was. I'd, again, I don't know what the German is for hold my point, but it was. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's just about every single football fan in Germany going hold my own. Stein, I don't know. Our first question, Kieran, comes from Edward McDonald. Uh, and Edward says, I noticed that last year's transfer of Wesley Fofana from Leicester to Chelsea raised a few eyebrows as the contract length was seven years. Uh, it wasn't just Wesley's transfer that had a long contract but it said uh, Edward says this got me thinking does the transfer value have any relationship to the length of the contract the player will sign or would it be the same price whether the player signed for seven or four years now I I found this a really interesting question Kieran because we we've talked about amortization and Mm. and the reasons why we think a contract is is given for five six or seven years but 
it's a good point. Are, are, are you paying less or more money because a, a contract is so long? It's not the club that is buying the player that ultimately determines the the price. It's the remaining life of the contract uh-huh. as far as the selling club is concerned. So if we take Ross Barkley, for example, really good player, hmm. uh, with 12 months of his contract left, there were stories about clubs coming in with 35, 40 million pound bids for Ross Barkley. And he turned them down uh, for whatever reason. And then uh, because he was in the last year of his contract, Everton were going, well, we now we can walk away on a Bosman in a year. And therefore, they ended up selling him to Chelsea with six months of his contract left, and they still got £15 million. So that's far more of an issue. If you are the buying club, to a certain extent, whether it's four or seven years, you're not bothered, you've agreed a fee with with the selling club. The the issue there, as you rightly pointed out, it reduces your amortisation fee, which allows you to spend more money on other things, i.e. and also to sign other players. Um, So it's more driven by uh, sales rather than purchases because the the length of contract is ultimately determined by the buying club and the player and the selling club. They don't give a damn. I don't care whether it's 12 months, three years, or in Chelsea's uh, Chelsea's case, uh, you know, uh, eight and a half, nine years. Remember Chelsea fans, 30th of June, 2021. That's when some of those – sorry, 30th of June – 2031 is when some of those contracts are expiring for those players that have signed who perhaps haven't delivered to the extent that uh, uh, you would have liked it. And, and Chelsea are on the hook. Yeah, the downside is that Chelsea are on the hook for the wages for those players until that those particular dates. Was that your ominous voice there, Kieran? You sounded like a movie voice over there. 20th, <laughs> what is it? What is, I've forgotten the date already. For, <laughs> 20, <laughs> 20, 20th of Ju- How old will we be on the 20th of June, 30th of June, 2031? We won't be here, Kieran. We'll be, <laughs> no. we, we'll, no. we might be in a home somewhere with blankets wrapped around our knees telling the really bored nurse that we used to run the, the world's most important football finance podcast. <laughs> I, I can't imagine many Chelsea fans are rushing to the fridge now to put that date on the wall chart, are they? <laughs> and, oh, it's interesting. I'm watching the Man United-Chelsea game the other night, which – Made me laugh for for two reasons. One that they put the the broadcasting blinks from the pitch way too close to the Chelsea fans, so all you could hear yes. for quite some time was Jamie Redknapp being called a wanker. Well, well, <laughs> well, Kelly Kate tried not Kelly, she tried not to laugh and said, "The away fans in fine voice," but also he. <laughs> because God bless him, he doesn't he doesn't mind. He 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 thinks he's being serenaded. God love him, but he he also made a point. Um, at one stage at half time about Pochettino coming in, just saying, you know, it's, it's going to be carnage because Pochettino will want a, a squad of 24. He won't, he said he won't want half the players that are here. So whoever's looking after the football finances at Chelsea is in for a really tempestuous six months, I imagine, aren't they? Yes, because when a new manager comes in, they want their own style, they want their own culture of the club, and therefore they're looking for incomings. Given that Chelsea's squad is already bloated, um, it, it does make you wonder. I'll be very interested to see the impairment charges going through Chelsea's accounts. And an impairment charge is where a, a player is deemed to be worth less than their book value. Mm. Um, yeah, that that could be uh, that could be a night of the long knives as far as Chelsea's accounts are concerned. Who who decides that, Kieran? 
Um, well, normally somebody at the club will will speak to the manager. A, who do you want? Right. Because okay. you, you don't particularly want to write down the players that you want to keep. Yeah, again, yeah, it right, still okay. gets a little bit political. Um, and as for the numbers themselves, it, it, it's a classic case of how long is a piece of string. Uh, you know, I, I don't know the market value of a player. The clubs really don't know the market, the value of the player until they test the waters and, and try to get the, you know, try to see if there's anybody interested. And, you know, and there's WhatsApp groups and so on of, of people that are you know, at clubs saying, yeah, are you are you looking for a centre centre forward? Are you looking for a left back with, uh, yeah, with, with long, long curly hair? Um, you know, if so, we might be able to help you. Yeah. A friend of mine who thought he was hilarious used to carry around a piece of string in his pocket in the vain hope that one day some, <laughs> somebody would say to him, how long's a piece of string? And I think it's probably still in there because it's like most of the conversations in the Porson's Arms don't ever get around to discussing how long a piece of string is. <laughs> uh, talking of clubs and managers, Kieran, I might be half an hour late for our next podcast. So I'm, being oh. in, I'm being interviewed for the Tottenham manager's job. So uh, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Our next question comes from Duncan Flishy. Um, I really hope I've pronounced that correctly, Duncan. It's one of those surnames that, Looks like it could be in many ways, but Flishy just seems like a nice attack. So Duncan Flishy says, as the Thomas Tuchel era at Chelsea ended rather suddenly, it begged the question of how contract determinations for managers typically work. Are most of them simply paid out the balance of their contract or is an offer made, e.g. a fraction of what is owed, and then there's a negotiation between the manager and the agent and the club? Or does determination happen and the compensation negotiation takes place after the fact? And also, are there ever any termination clauses that suggest that a certain amount of compensation be repaid should that dismissed manager find another job shortly afterwards, which is often the case in other industries, isn't it? Yes. I, I spoke to uh, one of our friends in the legal profession, and you could, you could, you could hear the the, the the whistle in his voice as he sucked in his cheeks. <laughs> and then he said... Uh, the word it depends is going to cover an awful lot in ah. this following discussion, okay. Kieran. Right. Um, so first of all, we, we've got to look at the contract uh, between the coach and the club, um, and it will set out um, a, a settlement agreement. So that, so that will you – know, yeah, that's a terrible thing. When you join, they're saying, well, this is what happens when you leave because the chances are you are going to leave. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, sometimes the payments would be a one-off. Uh, agreed in advance, um, and, and that could be linked to conditions. So, if we go back to uh, David Moyes uh, replacing Sir Alex Ferguson, David Moyes signed, I think it was a six-year contract at Manchester United. Um, and if uh, if he'd been there for a full year, um, then they would have had to pay him substantial compensation. But there was a clause in the contract which said. Should uh, should Manchester United fail to qualify for the Champions League, I think it was the Champions League, in the first year of being employed as a manager, Manchester United were only obliged to pay him a maximum of 12 months compensation. So Manchester United lost a match on a Sunday, mm. um, which meant that mathematically they could no longer qualify for the Champions League. And within, a, within hours, David Moyes was out because from... From the boardroom's point of view, if we let him go to the end of the season, if we, let, if we let David Moyes go to more than 12 months at Manchester United, we'll have to go and pay him a substantially more. So, so therefore, he was sacked during his first season at the club because of the mass, because of the numbers. So it, it really 
does vary um, from contract to contract. And also sort of uh, in any form of negotiation, often one side is in a stronger position than the other. So if, if the club is desperate for the manager to come, then the management's representatives will be able to negotiate a better potential payoff. Than, than perhaps otherwise might be the case. If we go into the EFL and we look at the clubs in, in League One and Two, you know, those managers are sort of keen to get on the on the ladder of football. They might be willing to compromise more and, and their payoffs would therefore be less. But what normally happens is that you know, the club and the manager will have a bit of a meeting the League Managers Association are likely to get involved to, you know, to defend the position of the manager. Um, and they, they would then sort of agree on, on a series of events. You, know, you don't hear many managers slagging off clubs when they leave, do you? No, that's true. You know, with, with the except, I know Mourinho has been slagging off Spurs this week. But really, it's been sort of having a go at Daniel Levy. Um and it could be that uh, you know, when I think when Pochettino uh, was at Spurs, he was effectively given uh, it was claimed a period of gardening leave. Mm-hmm. You know, in the sense that you, you, because what Spurs didn't want to do was sack him. He then goes off very quickly, finds himself another club, especially in the Premier League. Yeah, you know, that would be the worst case scenario. That club goes storming through the division, and the Spurs fans, who always had a very good relationship with Pochettino, are going. Hold on, Daniel Levy's just sacked you. He's now being successful elsewhere in the Premier League. So it, it really does vary uh, very much from from contract to contract, um, and it doesn't tend to be the case if you just if the club just terminates the the contract without discussion or agreement. Uh, you know, whilst it might come as a surprise, there's normally a call into the office, um, and uh, you know they they try to thrash it out, and, and that's when you know the the, the manager's representative would get involved as well. Yeah, to, to be fair, everyone's slagging off Tottenham this week. Kieran, it's become it's become the new national sport. I almost I almost feel sorry uh, for for another project. I had to uh, interview some Arsenal supporting comedians about various things in football, uh, and I had to stop the interview for all the saying I didn't ask you about Tottenham's new stadium. <laughs> I specifically asked you about Arsenal, so why are you laughing? <laughs> you couldn't hear them talk about Arsenal for laughing at Tottenham. Um, it, it, Harry Kane needs to go, doesn't he? Really? Bless him. Anyway, that's for a different pod. Our next question, Kieran, comes from John Waters. Probably not that one, the one responsible. Yeah, I was thinking that, yeah. Some of those gloriously exploitative <laughs> films. Uh, John Waters is a fan of Norwich City Football Club, he says. Perhaps the only one in the state of Vermont. Um so if there are other Norwich City fans out there in Vermont, which is one of the most beautiful places, I had one of my happiest moments ever, Kieran, uh, going into Burlington. My, a friend of mine got a job coaching football at Plattsburgh, uh, New York State, and we got the ferry across to, Birmingham, uh, to Burlington one morning across Lake Champlain. It's a glorious early autumn morning. I was with three of my closest mates. They sold beer on the ferry, even though it was only 10 oh. o'clock in the morning. And as we approached Burlington... The first time ever I heard REM, there was just, there was a little festival going on on the dock and somebody was blaring out, it's the end of the world as we know it, and it was just like... Oh, man, alive. Yeah, and then half an hour later, I was persuaded to have my first ever clam chowder and that took the edge off it. it <laughs> <laughs> Is that a euphemism? No, <laughs> it's not a euphemism. I, I regretted saying it almost. All I can say is it was rather clammy. Uh, say, not, say nothing. Also, as I recall... Um, uh, the barman in this lovely little pub in Burlington informed me that uh, of 
of all the biggest state, uh, all the biggest cities in each state, Burlington is the smallest. So it's the smallest of the bit. <laughs> and to this day, this is the first time I've been able to use that information. Anyway, back to John Walters' question. Uh, John Walters, as you may recall, is a Norwich City fan living in Vermont. And John says, what do you think of Mark Atanasio buying an interest in Norwich City and getting a seat on the board? Could we expect an influx of cash to boost the Canaries' modest budget? Is he on track to full ownership, especially considering that Delia and Michael are in their 80s now? Is Delia Smith in her 80s? That can't be right. Can't be right, surely. I hope it's not right. Anyway. Um, right. Well, in respect of this position, John, uh, you know, Mark Atanusio is wealthy. He, 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 he owns controls and asset management fund. He also owns the, the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, and what we are seeing is, especially from American owners, it's not uh, multi-club ownership it's multi-sport ownership and if you think about the glazers yeah they own mm. uh, they own a, a, a tampa bay and uh, and manchester united and we've we've and uh, stan Kroenke the same in uh, in arsenal as well so uh, i think uh, mark atanasio uh, is is from that viewpoint and um what many american owners take the view of is that if I own a franchise in the NFL or the NBA or the NHL, wherever it's going to be, um, I've I've got probably a radius of eighty miles um, in in which I, I can build a fan base and so on. Um, in the case of Norwich City, in the Premier League, you've got worldwide interest. So mm. I suspect we will see him increase his interest. I mean. Uh, Delia and Michael, um, I think, have done a great job. We've we've had we've had people from Norwich on the show in the past talking about the finances, and it's it, what what this isn't a criticism of John John's viewpoint here. I think it's it's very typical of how fans see owners um, in that they want not sustainable football clubs; they want sugar daddies. Yeah. You know, you know, yeah. So you know, can can we increase the budget? Well. You can increase the budget if you've got more money coming in. Now, if if the club went to the fans and said, look, yeah, we're, we're selling out Carrow Road every week. We've got a waiting list on season tickets. So, therefore, we're going to put up prices by 25%. Fans would be outraged. Yeah. And yet, that would be increasing the modest budget. So, um, I, th- I think... There is a potential for uh, for Mark Atanasio to to increase his stake. You know, I, I think uh, uh, Delia will be looking for an exit route at some point, although she's not necessarily ready there yet. Um, and he would be the the logical person to take over. If you take a look at other American owners, um, you, you talk to fans of Manchester United, and they will always remind you just how much money the Glazers have put into the football club and then compare that to the amount of money the Glazers taken out of the mm-hmm. football club in the form of dividends. Um, so I think we have to be a little bit careful here. Um, if I'm involved in asset management, then the chances are I'm looking to get a financial return on the investment. And football is a very precarious industry in the sense that, let's say he does put £50 million extra into the, the transfer budget, well, those players could turn out to be turkeys. You you are you are placing the faith in the recruitment division to spot spot the gems. And what you're doing, it's the equivalent of panning for gold. And the vast majority when you're panning at times when you're panning for gold, you don't find any gold. Mm. So um I think he would be a logical uh 
next step as far as Norwich are concerned. Uh, I, I do think that under Delia, Norwich have probably punched above their weight. They're a club that does try to organise and, and manage itself on a sustainable basis. And that's great if sustainability is your main aim. But, you know, let's be honest, I, I, I'm no different. I, I go, on to go, go, on, go on to go along to matches to see my team win. Yeah, and, and I'm sort of probably more familiar with the financial numbers than most. Mm. I, I forget all about that for 90 minutes. And, and if, if it's a poor performance, it's, well, yeah, why, why, why am they going? You know, it's clear that we need a right back. It's clear that we need to do this. And, of course, everything involves spending somebody else's money. As fans, we are brilliant at spending somebody else's money, but you've got to assume that they want that money to be spent in the first place. Yeah, Kieran, you can't convince me that you go for a whole 90 minutes without thinking about numbers. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not having that because uh, yeah, that two and a half hour drive back from Leicester. You, you, every time you saw a road sign, you go, "Oh, seventy! So add that to 70. And, um <laughs> it, it came as some surprise, Kieran, just not to see Norwich promoted back again to the Premier League. Do, do you think, though, financially, you know, they've sold out their season tickets again for next year, so every home game at Carrow Road will be a sellout. The broadcast deal isn't that bad. In the in the championship, do you think there's a, a, a case of an element of perhaps complacency for owners? Then you go, well, we're not in the Premier League, but we're making quite a bit of money out of broadcasting. We're selling out every week. I don't think that is the case. Right, uh, owners are ambitious, and also they always have an eye on the exit door. And Norwich City, as a Premier League club is worth a hell of a lot more money in, in a sale deal than it is as a championship club. We've only got to look at some of the rumours that are presently surrounding Leeds United uh, with uh, Rad Rizzani, uh, in theory, selling uh, Leeds because he wants to buy Sampdoria back in Italy. And if the stories are true, and I always you know, have, I take these with a large pinch of salt, he's looking for £400 million, £450 million for Leeds if they're in the Premier League, probably... 150 if they're in the championship. So uh, owners have a vested interest um, in getting the club promoted. And whilst quite a lot of clubs in the Premier League do lose money, you have to remember that in the championship, especially when when Norwich run out of of parachute payments, um, should they still be there, the average losses are 470 grand a week. Mm. And you know, as as much as I love Delia, and, and I still have. Delia's original cookbook because that's what that's my mum gave that to me when I went to university. Um, <laughs> cooking? Do you know what happened here? Because that's that you talking about cooking for one. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> Finley said there's two of us in this room. So he's talking about cooking for one. I'm out. I think we've all got a copy of Cooking for One somewhere that a, 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 yes. an, op, an optimistic parent gave us at some stage in our life. Uh, I, 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 I didn't use the egg section very much. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that caused quite the stir, Kieran. It did, yes. <laughs> and rightly so. Um, I wonder what the mood was like in the Leeds training ground on Monday, just 24 hours after Sam Allardyce very cheerfully said live on air, our keeper's not much good, we can't defend, we can't score goals and we're not fit enough. I was, a, <laughs> I was in quite a sombre mood on a training ground on Monday. Um, Stephen Bellwood has a question that um, is pertinent to our, our last interview, Kieran. We had a, a long and in-depth interview with Neil Doncaster, head honcho of the SPFL, as I will always call him. Um, and, of course, the financial disparity between the two biggest teams in the Scottish Premiership uh, and the rest is noticeable. But Stephen Bellwood has 
a question around that. Stephen said, I listened with interest to your discussion about the disparity between teams within the Premier League and the National League in a recent pod. Could you look at the disparity between the 12 clubs in the Scottish Premier League for me? It would seem that because Celtic and Rangers are reckoned to have revenues of around 100 million, that the percentage disparity within the SPL will be greater than within other leagues. Oh yes, and this was uh, it's a great, great spreadsheet moment. So you can imagine <laughs> me working out percentages on this. Um, Stephen is is absolutely right. If, if you take a look at the Scottish Premiership, Celtic and Rangers last season, and um, they earned j- just shy of ninety million pounds. And then if you take a look at the likes of Ross County and Motherwall and Kilmarnock, they're probably fishing in in the pool of three and a half to five million pounds. Wow. So we've we've got clubs that have got you know, more than 20 times the amount of revenue, be uh, you know, the two big Glasgow clubs, compared to the, the clubs that are, you know, are scrapping it out over uh, over relegation. Yeah, that's taking place in Scotland this weekend. We're recording this on, on Saturday morning. Um, so, yes, it, it, it's far bigger than the differences that we see um, in England uh, you know, on, on average – a, a club at the top, um, yeah, Manchester City, would probably earn around about five times the amount of revenue as the side that, that's going to be relegated. Um, and that compares to a factor of 20 in Scotland. And, and that's, you know, yeah, we had that discussion with Neil. One of the questions yeah. was, could he ever see uh, a, a genuine challenger to either Rangers or Celtic? And you know, he said, well, it, it would require investment um, from from a new owner or an existing owner or, uh, to to make that that club have a competitive budget and and then you take it from there, um, uh, yeah. And, and there's always a Leicester City uh, yeah, on the horizon, you hope. But you know, with with those type of odds, uh, it it is uh, it is almost impossible, I think. Uh, and that's partly driven by the fact that both of those clubs are now in Europe on on such a regular basis. Mm. That gives them a further advantage in terms of the ground capacity, and yeah, they're always first picks as far as the, the TV companies are concerned. Our next question, Kieran, comes from Sam Cronier, uh, and I'm confident of the pronunciation of Cronier, Kieran, because Sam has very helpfully put in brackets, it's pronounced Cronier, which is which is great. If more of you could do that, that would be it would save me floundering about trying to get... Yeah, you go into that Google Translate thing, they don't. They're guessing what Dowdy's names are pronounced as well, Kieran. I want to get them correct, but it's a good question that Sam Cronier has. And it's about the valuation process of a direct player swap and how this works with FFP. So let's say two players are valued at the same amount, £35 million. Is the player coming in now valued at £35 million when no money has changed hands? Or are they obliged to actually swap checks? And does it matter if the outgoing player either had significant value on the books or was a developed academy player with zero value? And also, what happens if two players involved in the swap deal have different values? Right. There's, there's quite a lot to unpack that yeah. there, Sam. Yeah. So, so let me, if I just deal with that sort of bit by bit, um, if the players are valued at the same amount, then you have a nominal uh, fee because you still have to work out the profit or loss on the sale of the player. Um, so therefore, both clubs will will say that for uh, for the reasons of registering the the deal with the local football association, that player X has been signed for so many million, player Y uh, at, at, at presumably the same amount of money. Um, 
But how that figure is determined, as we were, you know, sort of effectively saying earlier, it's it's arbitrary. Nobody knows the true value of a player. Ultimately, it's what somebody is prepared to buy, uh, sort of probably prepared to pay. And if you're doing a swap, you you can make up the numbers. Um, and historically, this has caused problems. If, if we go back to, whilst this is not a football context, um, if, if we go back to the start of the century, uh, and you, you may remember the what was referred to as the tech bubble, where mm. uh, effectively anybody with a pair of combat pants and a goatee beard could go to an investment bank and says, I've got an idea for a website, um, give, give me some money. And the banks would do that, and then the banks say, "Well, how are we going to value your business?" And and the the person with the goatee beard would say, "Well, you know, this this is my revenue for the last year. Um, you know, give me ten times that." And the banks would hand it over. But what they weren't realizing is that these these people were actually doing swap deals. So, so let's say that that you had a website, Kevin, in two thousand and one, uh, and you were you were selling cheese online. And I was, I, I'd had the idea for a website and I was selling, I don't know, um, you know, goat hair jumpers or where I got that one from. Um, Sussex. And, and That's where Sussex. you got, Sussex. Sussex. Where you got that yes. one from. Yeah, but probably alpaca. Yeah, yeah. Sussex, yeah. to be fair. Um, and what what you and I do is that we agree to advertise on each other's website um, and we say, well, we're going to to value those, those adverts at, at uh, you know, they're probably worth 10 grand each at the moment, but let, let's value them each at 5 million. And now you've got 5 million of sales and I've got 5 million oh, of sales. Okay. And we go along to the bank and say, well, look, yeah, we've got sales of 5 million here. Um, you're willing to lend us 10 times the value of our revenue and they give you 50 million pounds right. or 50 million dollars. And then, of course, six months, the uh, the business goes belly up. That is feasible when you have player swaps because it allows the clubs to, I wouldn't say to manipulate, yeah, that's, a, that's a harsh word for me to say. But we come back to my, my favourite transfer of all time, the swap between Arthur and uh, uh, Pjanic, uh, between Juventus and uh, Barcelona. Both clubs in a uh, uh, in a bit of a pickle, financial fair play-wise. So those two deals, and they were, they were you know, decent, modest players, um, those deals went for, I think it was 72 and 60 million euro. And everybody said at the time, blimey, you know, that, they, they seem very high. But it allowed clubs, both of those clubs, to to book a profit. Uh, if, if we look at the position of Miralem Pjanic, uh, he only played 19 times for... Um, uh, for Barcelona, yeah, this was a sixty million euro signing, and he was he's around about thirty at the time. It just didn't seem to make sense. N- nobody, nobody seems to know uh, where he is these days. We, we could potentially see Pjanic on the site on the streets of Dublin, Dundee, or Humberside, for all I know. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, but uh, you know, only only a Wikipedia search, and, and he turns out he's now playing in Sharjah instead. Uh, very good Smiths reference there, Kieran. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Our next question, you sounded like you've just done the set there. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, this episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items. 
to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Phil Moore has our next question, um, and this is definitely one we've not been asked before. Uh, Phil says managers will often make reference to new signings not quite being up to speed with the language. Do you know if it can be stipulated in contracts that they must learn and what financial repercussions there might be if they don't learn enough? It's interesting, Kieran, that the uh, Palace player of the year do on Wednesday night, uh, Czech Dekore, was a, a surprising but deserving uh, winner of the awards, and he came up and he didn't he doesn't speak English, so he had an interpreter uh, to uh, you know, let us know what he was talking about, which is which is great because we're not used to that kind of exoticism in, in Thornton Heathcare. And the fact that we've got a French person standing up on stage talking to us was rather <laughs> was rather glamorous. And of course, it, training is going to be fine because Roy Hodgson speaks fluent French. But mm. it, it, it's it's an interesting one. Can I be interested to learn whether you could put financial penalties in a in a contract that says if you don't Although there again, I, don't, I suppose, how do you decide what a, a proper level of English is? Well, you can determine a proper level of English because um, when it comes to international students coming to university, they have to do uh, a test and, and you are graded. And, ah, and, you know, I think okay, you have right, to have right. a 4.1 or a 3.4 um, level level of English. Um, and you know, that, that is to, get, to ensure that the student is... Is not disadvantaged. Uh, you know, coming coming to another country is one thing, especially if it's not your natural tongue. Um, it, it can be not really be fair on the individual. Right. So the same could apply to the footballer. Um, the problem is, is what happens if the footballer is really good yeah. and refuses to learn English? And I give you Carlos Tevez. Yeah, I saw that story. So yeah, so so you know, for people not familiar with this story, which has come out in in the past uh, week or so, um, Carlos Tevez. Yeah, he played for West Ham, Manchester United, and Manchester City. Uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic footballer. He said he he refused to learn English culturally uh, because of historic issues, but he was a really good player. He played for. Um, uh, West Ham. He played for Manchester United. He played for Manchester City. He, he contributed towards the success, and in the case of West Ham, uh, them avoiding relegation from the Premier League. Um, but he said didn't want to learn English. He, you know, from his his heritage, uh, from issues to do with family issues and the Falklands. Um, so under those circumstances, what what do you do? Um, 
And ultimately, you know, we, we employ footballers for what they do with their feet. Um, and if you can understand the language of the dressing room and uh, the instructions. And also, if you are signing a football player for you know, tens of millions of pounds, it's, you might as well just go and employ an interpreter as well. You, you think mm. about Bielsa at, at Leeds. Yeah. Yeah, whenever he did interviews, he he, he did those through uh, an interpreter. Although I, I think people didn't give him enough credit, I think this was part of you know the mystique of Bielsa. He, he his English was actually quite good. Yeah. Um, if, if we look at, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not picking up my club here, but uh, Roberto uh, doesn't speak particularly good English. He has an interpreter with him at times, um, and that's uh, you know, that, that's not impacted negatively his contribution towards coaching the players. So a club could put it into a contract. I think enforcement would be difficult. Um, it would be challenging. And then what's the point of, of pissing off a player who can't speak very good English mm. if he's just scored 20 goals in the season? Um, uh, you know, it's... it's not why you're employing them in the first place. You know, Ian Rush went to Italy and played for Juventus, and he he didn't learn a lot of Italian. I think is is the polite way of describing it. But didn't didn't mean he wasn't a good footballer though. Yeah, I, that, that's something we always forget historically. When because you will still hear people saying, "Well, if they're coming to play for our club, they need to speak our language, understand our culture." But uh, English players going the other way around. Never bothered, mm. never bothered to learn about the culture of the places they were going to. I imagine somebody like Ray Wilkins would have done, but the rest of them would happily have gone out there with their English mates and not spoken a word of Italian. Also, I understand, I can't remember who told me, but that's a terrible journalistic source, isn't it? I can't, if I can't remember who told me, I shouldn't be telling you the story. But I, I know one footballer who said that quite a lot of European footballers, they use English expressions on the pitch anyway, things like man yes. on, man on and handball. So there's not, there's not that much communicating you actually need to do when you're playing the game. But uh, check the Corey, what a player. That's the sort of player that Brighton would buy, but we got accidentally. It's the sort of thing <laughs> you would have taken three years to to, <laughs> to identify him and then bring him over. And we we just, I wonder what he first thought when he saw Thornton Heath High Street. Never mind. Um, Craig Seddon has a, a question that is right up your strasser. Uh, as, we're, as we're being all continental. Um, and this is, do you know what, this is a question that football fans talk about a lot, this particular offset ratio. Um, and Craig said, and says, on my local club Blackburn Rovers fan group page, I saw a post recently that suggested the club should half ticket prices to double the attendance, which is simplistic. But after doing some quick calculations, I worked out that the club would likely lose around £3 million per year doing that after extra staffing and costs have been taken into account. But my question is, has there ever been a wider cost-benefit analysis to see if increases in merchandise, food and bar, club membership sales, etc., from those extra fans would offset the money lost through offering cheaper tickets? And if so, was the outcome significantly different? It seems relevant as 13 of the 24 championship clubs last season had at least 10,000 empty seats on average with similar outcomes in League One, League Two. This is something, Kieran, you will hear football fans say a lot. If they just made the tickets cheaper, they would sell out every week and make more money. But is that the case? Um, Potentially, but it's, it's a gamble from the perspective of the club. Because let's say that you reduce ticket prices from... Yeah, let's say £24 to £12. Um, first of all, you've got a cash flow issue at the start of the season unless you sell a huge number of season tickets. 
On the plus side, however, I give you the case of Bradford City, yeah. who who offer yeah. um, what what they say to fans is that if we sell X thousand of our season tickets, you can get them for one hundred and ninety eight pounds, which is you know works out as what you know seven pounds a match, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And Bradford City average eighteen thousand yeah. in the fourth tier of, of English football, regardless of how good a season they have. The next highest in League Two is nine thousand, so they're getting double the attendance. Um, now, Bradford City have the capacity to do that because they've got a ground which is large, um, and also they would argue that uh, you know the additional benefit of having eighteen thousand voices behind the team, it, you know, it helps helps on the pitch as well. Um, it, it then starts to to get complicated because let's say that we do have ticket prices. Um, it's it's twelve pounds to see it, to see the team. Um, they're fourteenth in the championship, and it's Blackburn versus Reading on a Tuesday night. It's cold, it's miserable, and there's Champions League football on uh, on TV. Now, whether it's twelve or twenty-four pounds, if you're a casual fan, you know Blackburn is sixteenth. If we win, hey, we might go fifteenth. Mm. Are you going to pay twelve pounds? You know, probably not. So, so from the club's point of view. Um, they yeah, they do their sums, and then there's the, the the other issue of okay, let's get let's get prom- promoted to the Premier League. Can we then justify double the ticket prices? Because what the fans are going to turn around and say is, well, hold on, you know, you've got 100 million pounds of TV money coming in. Why are you trying to fleece us as well? So, in terms of of doing the sums, you know, to be fair play to, to Bradford, they have done their sums and, and they think that they are better off. And ultimately, your total match day revenue is number of matches times average money per fan times number of fans. And I think this is where Craig's uh, you know, suggestion does have a bit more validity. Um, if you know that you're able to watch Bradford City for you know seven or eight pounds a match, you're more inclined to buy the merchandise. You're more mm. inclined to have an extra pint and an extra pie at the, at the game and so on. Um, clubs don't make a huge amount of money. Uh, yeah, I think this this is a bit of a myth. Uh, you, know, you know, I know Spurs famously make £800,000 a match from uh, from catering, but the Spurs stadium is, is geared towards just tipping you upside down and emptying out your pockets the minute you get there and and, and they do they have very much got the disnification um of uh football fans off to a, off to a t uh, with the exception of winning football matches um but uh it, it does become more complicated because you know how, how much money are you going to make on on the sale of a of a duo mars bar it's it's it, it's a yeah if, if you're if you're Getting twelve pounds less per plat per fan per match, you've either got to get an awful lot of extra fans in, or you've got to sell an awful lot of miles bus. Yeah, although a friend of mine who's a Spurs fan has a uh, an interesting conspiracy theory. Uh, he he reckons the team are deliberately playing mediocre football to do the opposite of enticing people out the bar. He says essentially he spends <laughs> most of the game in the bar because he can't be asked to go out and watch the, the game. I I think this this is um. Uh, it's a rhetorical question in Premier League football, Kieran, because there are very few games in the Premier League that aren't sold out mm. days and weeks in advance. But I, I find, certainly even when Palace win the Championship, if if they made it easier to turn up on the day, uh, as I reckon clubs in, in League Two, for example, 
probably lose 500 people because yeah, it's not like the old days when you could just bowl up and go for a turnstile. You know, you, 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 at the very least, you have to go and buy a ticket. And it, it's the, the sort yeah. of spontaneity has been taken out of it a little bit, I find. Um, our penultimate question, Kieran, uh, it's, it's from a Bournemouth fan. So all you Bournemouth fans who remember me saying in our last pod that we had a discussion coming up, here's your time. Uh, Roger Baldry says, I'm a lifelong Cherries fan, although I'm a bit long in the tooth now, which is... Uh, I don't know what's. So are you and I, Kieran? Really? Technically, yeah. The important thing is that you have a tooth. That's a very good point. Now that's that's a glass half full, man. That's that's excellent. Well done. Um, and Roger says I'm an admirer of our previous owner, Maxim Demin, uh, the multi-billionaire who financed Plucky Bournemouth. Um, Maxim always—that's my word. Sorry, Roger. Roger, uh, in case Bournemouth fans are tutting at Roger saying that, it's me. I always get cross with people talking about. Bournemouth. So, yeah, plucky Bournemouth with their Russian billionaire owner. Uh, but Maxim always appeared to put the club first. What do we know about the new owner, Bill Foley, other than he owns the National Hockey League team, Vegas Golden Knights? But also, I know, I mean, your the conversations you and I have had about him, you, you seem to think he's all right, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think he's, he's a man in a hurry. Uh, because he, uh, he is also long in the tooth. <laughs> um, and, I, I, I presume this this question was probably sent in about six months ago. I, I would, if you've not read it already, Roger, um, I would very much encourage you to read uh, Matt Slater's article in the Athletic because he's just had a long interview um, with, uh, with with the new with the new owner Bill Foley, um, and I'm trying to get somebody from Bournemouth to come on the show. Um, so we'll we'll see, uh, you know, to, to see how their perception as American owners um, is is different. Perhaps their initial uh, perception of uh, of English football and so on. Um, he he does want to to change quite a few things. First of all, um, there's the you know, there's the elephant in the room: uh, the stadium isn't big enough for the Premier League. Mm. Uh, you know, so he is looking to you know from from the comments that we've seen from Bill Foley, he's looking for a modest investment, uh, you know, perhaps you know ninety to hundred million pounds for a twenty to twenty two thousand capacity stadium. He feels that uh, you know when he looks when he looks at the demographic of the fan base, you know, there's not enough young people there, and, and that's that's a byproduct of only having an 11,000 capacity stadium. It's not that the young people don't want to go. It's that, you know, there's, there's a waiting list yeah, for, for season yeah, yeah. tickets. And, and uh, you know, they've had, they've had a really good season, you know, fair play to them, uh, you know, given, given the start was, was a bit erratic, shall we say. Um, he, you know, I, I use this, this word disnification in respect of Spurs. I think that's the way that Bill Foley Wants to go. Uh, if, if you take a look at his uh, his you know his team Vegas Knights, uh, it's Vegas. Um, you know we're, we're talking about glitz and glamour, and Bill Foley feels that there's not enough for people to do to encourage them to get there early. So you know, can can you put on you know uh, a, a pre show which. And if you get people there half an hour early, and therefore they're buying more merchandise, they're they're drinking more, they're they're eating more. Whilst the margins aren't aren't huge, as we we're just saying in the, in the most in the most recent question, there is still money to be made. Um, so I think he he does want to to change the the attitude of of fans, you know, to make it more of an entertainment exercise. And you, know, you and I, as legacy fans, we we, we inwardly shudder. 
if if we hear, hear phrases like that. But you know that that's the American view of of uh, sport as a form of entertainment first. Whereas I think ours is is very much of sort of you know working class culture um, that that we've been brought up with. And it's a different viewpoint. It doesn't mean that it's a wrong viewpoint. Um, and if, as a result of this, the facilities for fans are improved um, as, as a byproduct of that, then then I'm all for that. Uh, you know, I went to uh, I, went, I went to a T20 game on Friday night with the Baroness, and uh, you know somebody that that grew up you know, you know with watching Dennis Amis and you know, Jeff Boycott and Alan Knott and so on, that part of me, again, still shudders when I watch a T20 match. But everybody else is enjoying themselves. And, and, and you know, the, the cricket itself, you know, the innovation in terms of what you're seeing on the pitch is absolutely incredible. Uh, but, you know, the uh, the T-shirt cannons and the music every time you get a four and people waving cards, they're, they're even, uh, such... Such is the paucity of talent that we've got at Sussex at present. You know those cards for sixes and fours. Mm. We've now got them for singles. That, that's how <laughs> that's how bad it is. Uh, well, <laughs> and, I, I watched the the Surrey Kent game on Friday night. It was uh, fantastic. Made made hundred and thirty four balls. Jesus, yeah, and and then Surrey nearly contrived to throw it away. It was a record run chase at the Oval for a T Twenty game, and Kent. Stays look like they're on it. The the, the problem for um, I I agree. The T Twenty thing is really interesting, Kieran, because when you talk to people uh, in cricket, people who run the game of cricket, people who run clubs in particular, they don't like it. They don't like the product, so to speak, but they love the fact that it, it guarantees a lot of people in. Um, yes, and you know Surrey Essex always sells out the T Twenty game. Surrey Kent, I, it wasn't a sellout, but there were. It must have been close to eleven, twelve thousand people there, which, for a non-test game, is astonishing. And the Surrey don't get the money for test games. But yeah. the other thing is, as you say, you have to put up with the you know bloke gets a thousand quid for catching the ball, which he did the other night, which is really cool. <laughs> Mascots, uh, so on and so forth. Um, I always get intrigued by the glass, uh, the plastic glass snake. I'll see yes. how long they can get. <laughs> the, the, it occurs to me though, the, Kieran Bill Foley, as you say this word disnification he wants to change the way fans view games but the, the trouble is a if he wants to attract new people younger people then he's got to have a bigger stadium so first of all yeah. that's going to take three or four years you imagine before mm. the stadium is bigger and, and b I, I hate to say this but he has to like you say he has to wait for the legacy fans to get too old to want to go because mm. otherwise you're you're battling a hundred years of culture which is you go to the the pub for the most part you you know exactly how long it takes you to get from the pub to the ground and you get to the ground for for two minutes to three because still at most grounds, there's not enough to lure you in to get there early because certainly, you know, a, a couple of cheerleaders on the pitch isn't going to do it or a local band isn't going to do it because you can't have that much entertainment because the groundsmen are not going to let you have a stage on the band anyway. So uh, whereas in American sport, American sport is consumed in a tile, an entirely different way by their by their fans, isn't it? Yes, if, if you think about the average NFL game, the 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 fan experience is three hours. Yeah. The actual ball is in play for eleven minutes, yeah. and that's why you know people say to me, "Yeah, how how can the NFL make more money from TV than we see in football?" Given that football's you know a more popular global product, and I say, "Well." The NFL was designed to sell adverts. You know, you have all of these stops. Every time there's a stop in play and you know it's going to last for quite a while, you can go straight, you can squeeze in an extra ad. Yeah. And if you take a look at the 
the uh, the broadcasting rights on the back of that. That's why they're so high. Um, yeah, and we saw uh, with. Uh, with, with the Super League franchise proposals from uh, Florentino Perez, he wanted matches to be changed to four quarters yeah. because that was more opportunities for adverts. It was more opportunities to sell things in breaks. And it, and it was very much uh, you know, a view of uh, turning football from our perception. Yeah, and, and yeah, our perception is of also from playing Sunday league football. You know, where we where we form those friendships, which we then yeah we, we then go on to to watch the match with the guys in the pub, and you play football with them on a Sunday. So we still feel that that there is that link between park football and real you know, and, and professional football um, that would go completely. I mm. think if some of these ideas were introduced. It's harder to play ice hockey down the park with your mates, though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Although, not, not if you're living in Canada, I suppose. Uh, our last question comes from Benjamin Toast, uh, Kieran, who I rather hypocritically uh, prefer to call Benny Toast because he's a, he's a friend of the show, and I think Benny Toast is a, is a great name, uh, which is, as I say, hypocritical, Kieran, because as somebody much rather be called Kevin than Kev, I should be saying Benjamin Toast, but Benny Toast is just such fun to say, Benjamin. But this is a... I think this question this question made me laugh when I first saw it, but I actually think there's some merit to it in a, in a strange sort of way because Benjamin says, given the championship is such a basket case, will we see points deductions being less of a financial penalty? It's like doping in cycling. If everyone's doing it, then a deduction of points almost evens out the playing field in favour of those who bet most on red at the casino. Which is, yeah, you know, if <laughs> you know, if everyone's going to get points deducted over the season, Kieran, why not give it a go? Yes, I, I see the I see the cynicism in this. Um, I, I thought you were going to say I, logic. I, I, I've genuinely thought you were going to say <laughs> I see the logic. It's a great idea. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to flip this. If so many clubs are doing it, let's be the club that doesn't do it, yeah. and therefore have a points advantage. Yeah. Um, and you know what we've seen at Wigan, um, yeah, yet another points deduction oh, since yeah. our last show yeah. is is shameful. Yeah. What is happening at that club? Um, and they've been through three three sets of owners who have proven to be a disaster, and a set of administrators who were so up their own backsides that they felt that a statue <laughs> should be built of the administrators um, before they they trousered a very very large fee. Um, I'm I'm a great believer in nudging people towards good behaviour, yeah. uh, and uh, yeah, if everybody is doing it, then that's fine. But yeah, we've already mentioned Norwich. Norwich as a club, yeah, and I said this before, are run as a sustainable club, yeah. And I, I think Norwich fans should be proud of the fact that they've also managed to get promoted on that, and they've also played decent football, um, you know, and and that they've got good people trying to do good things um, at the club. And, and yeah, now I'm sounding. I'm, I'm a bit, you know, I'm a bit, bit worthy, bit, bit guardian Easter and so on. But there, there, is, there are huge reasons to be proud of your football club, not just what happens on the pitch and running the club, so that you'll be able to take your children and grandchildren there. I think is one of those things which perhaps we don't give enough credit for. Yeah, Norwich strike me, Kieran, and uh, Ipswich fans will disagree with me here, but most people, Norwich is a wonderful town to visit. It's a great away game, Norwich. Uh, but they, they strike me as one of those be careful what you wish for clubs because you have owners in Delia and Michael, as we mentioned earlier, older owners who have perhaps more of a context because of their age on the ups and downs 
of of a football club and, and are perfectly happy to maintain their football club. And then the next thing is that they go and you get somebody in who is going to gamble everything on getting them back in the Premier League and it, it all goes wrong because it's easy for me to say this because Palace are in the Premier League, but I, I, I did used to try and say the same thing when we weren't, that it's more important to have a club to support. Mm. And sometimes when your owners share that view, it's it's kind of more reassuring than than the fear almost of somebody coming in and going, right, we're going to spend money we haven't got to try and get in the Premier League and let's not worry about what happens if we don't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely spot on. The next Price of Football live show is coming up a pace. It's Plymouth Argyle's Home Park Stadium on Tuesday the 6th of June. Still got a couple of tickets available from Plymouth Argyle's website. It would be lovely to see you down there. Thanks to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them, that would be very kind of you. And you can make a small monthly contribution by going to patreon.com slash price of football. I'm paranoid every week here and I say contribution somehow. <laughs> I'm going to make that. And I will say, as I look at pod and contribution, I think the P should be in there. Um, contribution to the cod. Uh, if you have a question you'd like answered the show, then of course email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thanks to everybody uh, uh, at Patreon uh, supporting us. And remember, we do have our, uh, our end of season quiz coming up on. Wednesday night, I think it is. It is. Uh, so we will be putting together a, a series of multiple choice questions. Um, the, the prizes are so big, we've not even thought what they're going to be as yet. Uh, probably uh, a thumbs up from me and Kevin on screen. Yeah. Uh, and what, what could possibly be better than that? They're mainly uh, metaphorical at the moment, the prizes. Yes. They're symbolic. The prizes are symbolic, Kieran. And uh, I think eventually we've run out of books to give away, Kieran. Yes. Uh, we 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 certainly haven't got any more football shirts left, so it'll be. I think the quizzing will be the winner, Kieran. Let's put it that way. Quizzing. Yes, and uh, remember, it's not only an award-winning podcast ah. that you're listening to; it's Adrian Child's favourite yeah, podcast. A nice little. So we, well, we're well chuffed when we read that yeah. in, in the in the press gazette this week. Um, so yeah, you, you, it doesn't matter if, if you want to if you want to help the show. If you don't want to go into Patreon, give us a review. Uh, go on to that podcast app of yours. Doesn't matter what you say. Uh, you can even say you'd rather have it uh, presented by Adrian Charles. Um, and one of my other favourite Adrians, Adrian Goldberg, because he has asked me to come on to his radio show with my eight or nine favourite punk and new wave songs. Ooh. And this is going to keep me awake oh, for my. many, many nights, as you can imagine. Oh, the poor old Baroness. You don't have to play them out loud, Kieran. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't be asking the Baroness. Which of which of the Dead Kennedys B sides she prefers? <laughs> oh, what's going to what's going to be your number one? That's going to be an interesting one, Kieran. Oh God, I'm in, I'm in pain. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's real struggle at present. Oh, sorry, kid. I, I, you said I'm in pain. I was going to say who's that by? But okay, fair enough. <laughs> 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 Bye, everybody. Bye. I'm for the